Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. We come before God to praise Him. We also come to confess our sins. We do this because God is a holy God and we have sinned against Him. So God's Word calls us to confess our sins. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10 this morning and encourage you to turn there if you'd like. It's a bit of a longer section today than typically. First 12 verses of 1 Corinthians 10. Hear God's Word. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. As far the reading of God's word. Israel was in the desert for 40 years after being freed from Egypt by spectacular plagues and the Red Sea parting, God miraculously providing with manna every day, and yet they complained about the menu. They complained. They looked down, not up, looking only at the manna and not up to heaven, to the miracle happening that brought them the manna. God had to send snakes and bring them to the point of death before they would look up to God in faith, looking to the snake on the pole. They looked around and they looked back, comparing their menu to what they got in Egypt before. Instead, they could have looked right in their midst and seen God present in the rock that followed them, in the tabernacle that they set up over and over again. So uh, we'll look at our catechism in a moment. And notice there, uh, Christ's humanity and divinity is discussed. Remember that Christ in his divinity is always with us. In his humanity, he's ascended to heaven and sits at God's right hand for our good. So when Israel complained, when we're tempted to complain, that comes from not believing that God is being good to us. But God is. He's always being good to us. So let us confess our sins. Please kneel if you are able and let us pray together. topical sermon series I'm uh, engaging in. We've looked at the gospel itself. We've looked at how the gospel plays out in family life. 
And now today we're going to look at how the gospel plays out in the church. Our first week here, in fact the first day we moved in, a neighbor walked over and had a pot of food ready and said, here you go, here's dinner. And then she invited us to go to one of the local churches on Friday night to go, and she invited uh, Sarah and Grace to go work out. They had a class uh, for, I forget what, the, what kind of working out it was, but while the youth group met, then the, the moms could have a workout class. We are surrounded, it seems, by large churches that provide such things. Sporting fields, cafes, playgrounds. It can get a little intimidating. What does Christ Church of Livingston County have to offer in comparison? It, well, what is a church for anyway? It's uh, quite mesmerizing, the variety, the diversity, uh, a church like ours of, uh, of 40, 50 folks versus a church like Acts 2.42. Such a different kind of, uh, of group. What's going on? How, how are things supposed to be? Well, we're going to look today a little bit at that, and we'll look at the church as organism, the church as organization, and the church as means of grace. And again, the idea here is we want to shape our lives by God's design, uh, by the gospel and by the word of God. So what is a church for? What are we supposed to be doing? And whenever we uh, talk about this, and whenever scripture talks about the church, it uses metaphors all over the place. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I'm going to build my church on the rock of Peter and his confession of, of who Christ is. And in our sermon text, we see the same thing, more metaphors. And Paul mixes his metaphors, too, in, in, in Ephesians 2. We're not strangers, we're citizens. We're, we're members of a family. We're a building that's being built Verse 21, we're being built together, and the building grows, <laughs> the metaphor mixing. But there's all kinds of uh, pictures like this of what the church is, so I'm going to try to stay in, in line with that scriptural direction and talk about a lot of different pictures of what uh, we're supposed to be as the church. Uh, when I was going through seminary, there, there was a, a common phrase that was often used when we talked about the church. The church is an organism, and the church is an organization. And both of those are true. The church is a, the body of Christ. It's a, it's a living uh, group. It's a living thing, the body. But there's also structure to it. It's also organized a certain way. So we'll look at those two first. Uh, and as often has happened in the past, uh, my first point is going to take the longest. So when I get done with the first point and it feels like we've been here forever, don't worry. We'll, we'll get through the others quicker. So church is organism, the body of Christ first. That we are united with Jesus Christ. That's uh, how our salvation works. We, we aren't saved unless we're united to Christ. And uh, we are united not only to Christ, but to his body. There, this is a lasting, a rich union. Uh, we sing about it in, in some classic hymns, our, the mystic sweet communion that we have with those whose rest is one. The, the, the union of, of the body of Christ together is a mystery. Uh, but it is a reality. We are citizens, we're family members. Those are the pictures. Or, or 1 Corinthians 12, we, we're uh, members of a physical body. You're an arm, you're a foot, uh, you're a hand, uh, and we're different members of this body. So all these pictures going on. And in the body of Christ, it's similar to the family. Each member of a family is equal before God, but there are different roles that we play. 
husband's role is different than a wife's role is different than a, a child's role. And it's the same thing in the churches. Uh, each Christian that, that is involved in a church is, is equal before God, but there may be different roles that we take part in. Uh, one way that can play out is that uh, some of us have been coming here for a long, long time. Others were newer, and so you, it, it's, you feel different when you've come to a church for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. We kind of have that feeling right now. We're, I'm, the, I'm the new guy, right? So it's not that the, the new guys are less important uh, to us or to the Lord, but you're just not as woven in yet, and that takes time. So uh, there are different members of the body doing different things. So the church is, is an organism like that. It's, it's not so much a corporation. And there we have to be careful because a lot of modern churches are taking on this corporation model. And the pastor's the CEO, and he's got a board, and, and it's that kind of setup and structure. They operate that way. But, but the church isn't a consumeristic thing where you decide you want to have this certain product, so you pick the store, you go buy what you want, and then you leave. That's often how people are attending and engaging with church these days. It's not commercial like that, like buying a car, for example. You know, you want to buy a car. I'm, we're in this mode right now. We're looking for a car. Well, you, you research it. You find out exactly what you're getting so that you reduce the chance of surprises. You reduce the chance of getting a lemon as much as you can. And then you go buy it. Uh, picking a church or attending church isn't quite a commercial transaction like that. It isn't that the customer is always right. In, in, when you're talking about the church, right? Aaron made that mistake uh, at Mount Sinai, and Israel told him, build a calf. Well, the customer's always right. So the, some churches think that way, and, and the leadership uh, gives the people what the people say they want, and that can lead you down a bad path. Uh, also, uh, many Christians today uh, tend to cherry-pick the best experiences from several different church experiences. If, if you commit to one place, the thinking goes, uh, you can just get mired in the weaknesses of that group. So let's just try a bunch of places out and enjoy the best of everything. Uh, and the downside to that is that you're treating yourself as above it all. You're, you're, you're not acting like a member of the body. Uh, I hesitate to use this analogy. I don't mean to be too condescending. But, but it's, if you run with that picture a little bit, you're more like a mosquito. It's going from body to body to body, picking out the best of each thing. You're, you're, you're feeding more like a parasite that way. It's harder to contribute to the church if you don't commit to one. Uh, so uh, the church is the body of Christ. The church isn't, isn't like the food court at the mall, for example, where you wander from this to that. Uh, rather, we should, we should tend and keep the church, the congregation, as a garden. It's an organism. That takes some cultivating. It takes work and weeding, but then it will bear fruit. We see that in Ephesians 5. Uh, in, Jesus nourishes and cherishes uh, his body, the church. Uh, we usually read, look at Ephesians 5, like we did last week, uh, regarding family life and, and marriage. Uh, but there, there's, the analogy applies much more broadly. Every husband should relate to his wife in that way, nourishing and cherishing her as he does his own body. But notice, the whole point there is that Paul's speaking of Christ in the church. Jesus feeds and cherishes and honors the church. We should all treat the church with honor like that. This is who Jesus died to save. 
So we're called to, uh, to cultivate, to work, to contribute to the body. There's a political angle to that, right? That we're called citizens of the church. Uh, you're not a customer of the church, you're a citizen. Uh, consider it that way. Citizens might get called up for jury duty or have to pay taxes. It's tax season. Uh, it made me think, too, of uh, John F. Kennedy's famous line. That's, that's relevant here if it's a cliche. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. So besides this, at church, you, you submit to God doing something to you. Right? It's not so much a product where you say, okay, I want this kind of church experience. I'll look around and find, oh, they're, they're doing it. So I'll go, I'll go buy that and do that and then go home. It, no, it's, it, what you're doing is you're submitting to God, doing something to you. And we see that in our text real, very plainly. Uh, if you look at the structure of these verses, Ephesians 2, 19 and through 22, uh, you have first a statement of identity. Look, this is who you are. This is what has happened to you. You're not a stranger anymore. You're a citizen. So first Paul says who you are, you're a citizen with the saints. And then he says what gives a couple of verbs, and they're all passive verbs. You're being built. You're being built up in a certain way. So when you become a Christian, when you attend church over the long haul, what's happening is you're submitting to God doing something to you. You're being built into something. You're growing up into something. Jeff Myers, the uh, pastor in the PCA who's written The Lord's Service, he talks about this in that book. It's an excellent book uh, where he says that you put yourself under the knife of the word, right? In a sense, we are the, the living sacrifice in the, in the ritual understanding of things. And so we put ourselves on the altar at church, and the word is, is the living and active sword that divides, that it exposes our hearts, and we submit to God's operation. We submit to God's uh, word, his, his sword. Uh, and uh, this starts at the beginning of the Christian life, uh, when you bow the knee to Christ, the Lord, and, and then you join and have relationships with his people. You submit to baptism. And so we subject ourselves uh, to church every Sunday morning, to put it in that kind of language. You, you maybe wouldn't normally be friends with everybody at, at the church that you're at, but you share a common bond in the Lord Jesus. So you spend time with people, maybe you wouldn't, Otherwise, that happens as well. I've been listening to Alistair Begg lately. I try to listen to a variety of, of sermons, and he's one of those that's in my rotation. And he made a joke the last time I listened to him. There's the chorus, I'm so glad that you're a part of the family of God. And he says, sometimes we're tempted to sing, I'm surprised you're a part of the family of God. But uh, we uh, cultivate a relationship with other people because God has thrown us together. And here we are. Now, so now let me walk this back a little bit. We're, we're, uh, the church is an organism. We're citizens, not customers, right? Now, I want to walk that back a little bit because we actually do see the customer picture in the Bible too, right? Isaiah 55 is a classic example. God is like a seller in the marketplace calling to us to come buy his bread and milk and wine. So there is that picture, and I don't want to overdo the anti-consumer thing. Uh, there's no point in denying we have lots of choices of where to go to church. We, we've got to pick someplace, right? And you do choose based on uh, the best fit of how you read the Bible, how, how close the church is, all sorts of reasons. 
and the church should be thinking about its product, quote-unquote, how best to serve its customers, how, how to feed the body of Christ in the best way. But not so much to make a profit or to grow the church, but to honor the Lord. So, you know, like I began talking about those, those big churches, if they have a godly motivation, then they're offering all those other things so that people will come Sunday morning and worship God and hear preaching from the Bible and be fed at the table. That's their goal in the long haul. They're going about it in a, in a different kind of way. So churches is organism. Uh, we are fed by Christ. Uh, we are feeding our members. We are growing to Christ-likeness. That's the first thing we see about the church. The church is also an organization. Uh, and here we turn to Numbers chapter 11 uh, to see that. The church is an organization, and I just wanted to point out two things about that today. One is the, the Presbyterian nature of the church, and the second is the membership idea. So uh, when Israel complains in the desert in Numbers chapter 11, and I skipped the middle part of that chapter. It's, it's some fascinating reading. It's an insight into Moses uh, mainly. He, um, he, he almost kind of loses it, honestly. And you see the, the burden of the leadership that's on Moses at that point. Uh, it's verse 11 of Numbers 11. Moses says, Why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight? You've laid the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget? You see, Moses just uh, kind of loses it because the burden of the leadership has been so great on him. So Israel complains. Moses responds in that way, also kind of complaining. What's God's response? In verse 16, God responds. And he says, gather to me 70 of the men, and I'll make elders, and I'll put my spirit on them, and they'll share the burden with you. It's critical. Part of the organization of the church is that God provides elders, not just one solitary Moses figure, but a group of men to help in leading the church because the burden can become too much for leaders. I don't know if you noticed that at the installation service a couple weeks ago. Our beloved elder, if you remember, at the beginning of the service, he got a little emotional thanking folks for helping him through our time without a pastor. There's a little window into, there's a burden there that is being borne. The burden gets especially bad like it did for Moses when people are clamoring and leaving and asking for a different leader or a different direction. And so God provides multiple men to lead his people together. So the New Testament, too, always refers to elders in the plural. Paul writes to the elders in Philippi. He directs Titus to appoint elders in all the churches. Paul himself, uh, in every city where he plants a church, he appoints elders. And their job is to shepherd the church, to oversee it. Paul tells the elders this in Acts 20, verse 28. In Hebrews 11, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 13, 17, he says, The elders, they watch over your souls as those who must give account. That's striking and strong language. Watch over your souls as those who must give account. Think of that. I, I'm called by God, and, and I'm going to be responsible to give an account for your soul. Wow. Now, we take it for granted that each person is responsible for the state of their own soul before God, and they are. But God also, when he joins us with Christ, he joins us with his body. 
and we're adopted into a family, and there's house rules already written down in the playbook, and we don't get to rewrite or ignore the house rules. So elders and pastors are, are called by God to watch over your souls as those that must give account. So th- this is important for me to get said near the beginning of a, of a pastorate with you because I'm going to be uh, going around the next few weeks uh, asking you, can, can we get together? I'd like to get to know you better. And, and not just small talk, talk, not just get to know you. How is it with your soul? So two very practical things that you can do in obedience to God's word here. Uh, one is, uh, be ready for that conversation. Th- think through what you ought to share with people in church from week to week, and think through what things you might want to share with your new pastor. It's kind of like going to the doctor, I think of it as, and telling him your symptoms. It's like, this is what's going wrong. Well, anything we can do about this. That, that's how things work with, with your body physically. Uh, there's a similarity in the spiritual realm. So that's one thing. Think through uh, what ought to be shared, what you could um, uh, possibly learn uh, as far as how your life, your soul is going, and share that with your elder or your pastor. And second, pray for us, uh, elders and deacons, especially with me, the new guy here. Pray for us to work well together. Uh, We've had two session meetings already. It seems we're off to a great start, uh, and it's important that that uh, plural, uh, multiple leadership Uh, work well. So the church is an organization like that, multiple elder rule. And then the church has members. That's, we've already been seeing that picture over and over, and we see it in 1 Corinthians 10. I wanted to turn there a moment. And like I did last week a bit, talk to the kids, Uh, you boys and girls, you are members of Christ and his body as well. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, we see that, that we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Paul's talking there about communion. Uh, the, the body of Christ is fed by the body of Christ with, with, with this bread, sacramental bread. At the beginning of that chapter, uh, as we read earlier, uh, all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. So who's part of the body of Christ? Who, who was part of Israel? Everybody who went through the Red Sea. Did the kids go through the Red Sea? They did. All are part of the body. Everybody ate the manna. Everybody was drinking the water that came from the rock. Everybody's part of the body of Christ. And so, uh, kids, you are members of Christ as well. God works this way with Abraham. He, he has him apply the covenant sign of circumcision uh, to 13-year-old Ishmael and to 8-day-old Isaac. The Israelites had their children at the Passover table eating the lamb. And so in the same way, we baptize our children, we bring them to the Lord's table, we treat you, boys and girls, as Christians, and we're at the same time training you to be Christians. So we wanted to treat uh, our children as such, sacramentally and relationally. So we include you children in in the body of Christ. Um, So that's important to remember, as we're raising our children, uh, there will come a point where we're not relating to them as children, but we're relating to them as a brother in Christ, as a sister in Christ. Well, you should already begin doing that. Uh, so uh, our children are members of the body of Christ. I wanted to say a thing or two about the CREC, the, the 
organization that we're part of as the church. I think I'm out of time to do that. I'll save that for next week. Uh, so be ready for more on that kind of thing next week. Next week, what we'll do, just a little preview, is uh, consider uh, things that can bring the body of Christ uh, apart. Uh, issues that are more important, like the Apostles' Creed we just read, this, these, these are issues that define the church. And then other issues, lesser issues, that can tend to, to um, uh, cause disagreement and how to handle that and navigate that uh, to maintain unity in the body of Christ. So that's a, just a brief preview there. So, so far we've looked at the church as organism, the body of Christ, and organization, uh, being members, how it's structured with elders uh, leading and being responsible for the church. And then third, we have the church as means of grace. The church as a means of grace. How do we receive, as Christians, spiritual blessing from God in Christ? And again, 1 Corinthians 10 is, is key here. I wanted to keep returning to this. Israel received spiritual blessing from God in Christ. In that rock that followed them, verse 4 says. Of course, they're receiving physical blessing too. They're going to starve without that manna. Uh, they'll die of thirst without the water. But they are receiving uh, spiritual means through that manna as well. And, and notice, they take that very thing and they complain about it. This isn't what we want. And in, in our sin, we're often tempted to do that. The very things God gives us as blessings to help us grow in Christ, uh, we find something wrong with it and we'll complain about it and reject it. So we, we are in deep danger apart from God's grace. Uh, but means of grace, what is that all about? That means a, a way God blesses us. So there are private means of grace. You, you read the Bible yourself. You pray yourself. Uh, there are public means of grace we talk about, coming to church, uh, prayer at church, fellowship together with the saints. These are means of grace. So uh, when we come to church, we come first and foremost to relate to God in worship. We want to hear him speak. We want to speak to him. We want to sit at his table and be fed. This is means of grace. This is, this is how we act out our relationship with God. Uh, scripture talks about when Paul talks to Timothy, he tells him to be devoted to the public reading. And, and he's talking about when the church gathers together, make sure you read the Bible. So that's uh, part of the means of grace as well. The sacraments, so the rest of 1 Corinthians 10, we see that in 14, verses 14 to 21. We need to uh, be engaged in, uh, in the sacraments. Uh, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. We're, we're one bread, we're one body. The cup of blessing that we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ, he says. So these are ways that God saves you, ways that God purifies you. Uh, we usually talk about being saved, right, as that point of conversion, when I first came to believe in Jesus. Uh, but the, the Bible uses that term more broadly. When, when we're being saved, uh, we're being sanctified. We're not just saved at that moment of belief the first time. Uh, our salvation is happening all along as we're sanctified. So uh, this is how God is saving you, by giving you uh, a body to be incorporated into. But again, uh, back in Numbers, Israel complained about it. And how many times, let's be honest, even here sitting in church amongst one another, how many times have you in your heart or back at home later been tempted to complain about something that happened at church or something somebody said at church, whatever it is? There's always something to complain about. Kids, have you ever complained about having to read your Bible again? 
We're having to pray, do we have to go to church again? This is how we are in our sinful nature. These things, uh, verse, 1 Corinthians 10 says, these things were written for us. These are examples for us. Why? Because we're just like them. This is how we are. So these things take work. You don't always like reading your Bible. But if you're looking at something like reading the Bible, it's because you like the wrong things. Or, or you don't like the Bible like you should. Sometimes our likes are messed up. And we can't just do what we like. The sermon's a little boring or it's a little long. Well, preachers aren't perfect, so you may have a point. But there, there is something to learn from. There's something going on there as gift, right? The Psalms aren't easy to sing. Some are harder. But they're worth working at. They're worth learning. Got this Psalm sing after church today. I hope you can stick around for that. We have to cultivate our, our desires and our likes and reshape them to how they should be. So church is a means of grace in that way. Uh, also wanted to talk about membership vows, right? We, we submit, we just stood up here, my family, uh, a week or two ago and said, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church? That's, that's an important part of the means of grace. And, and we usually think of the negative side of that first, right? Oh, that's, that's in case I mess up and the church needs to institute discipline, maybe even excommunicate me. Uh, and that's important. That's important for the church to be able to do. But consider the positive shaping effect of discipleship. It's far more prevalent. That's going on all the time in the church. Uh, when we come to church, we're encouraged seeing others worshiping God with us. And, and those kind of conversations should be had. How are you following Jesus more closely because of the conversation you'll have over dinner today? Working at that conversation is important. Just last night we had some friends we were with for dinner, and, and one of them just kind of out of the blue. It's a little bit awkward, but once we got going, it was a wonderful conversation. He just said, so what are you learning lately? Or what, what's God teaching you lately? That's a, a blessed conversation to have. Those relationships should form and shape your future direction. Jesus makes us better disciples through our involvement at church. And if, it, if that's not happening, then it, it's partly up to us to, to make that, uh, to begin making that happen. So that's all part of our membership vows. How do we support uh, the leadership of the church? How do we uh, pursue the peace and purity of the church? Uh, when it comes to leadership, you, you, you agree in, in membership vows to support how the leadership is operating things. As long as they aren't doing something uh, really unbiblical, we, we want to support that. <laughs> Speaking of unbiblical things, I was listening to Al Mohler uh, this week. He, he has a podcast I listen to almost every day, so the briefing, I think. Uh, he had, had a story about an atheist pastor in the United Church of Christ in Canada. Uh, a lady pastor came out and announced to her church that she didn't believe in God. Two-thirds of the church walked out. And I say, yay, way to, way to go. You should walk out of that kind of church. That's right. That's important to walk out on something like that. But there's a difference between that and if I would stand up here and say something mildly in favor of or opposed to our, our president, and you disagree with it, and you storm out, I'm not going back there again. You see the difference? There's a difference there. Uh, our membership vows call for you to stay committed 
to work out disagreements and resolve them as best you can so you continue in fellowship together. And that's not just from the pulpit, if, if you mildly disagree with something I say here, but it's also with, with each other. If there's uh, tensions, if there's disagreements on things from member to member, it's important to resolve those and reconcile those so that we can continue in the body of Christ together. The, the most excruciating church situations that I've seen, and there have been a few, it's been where the church leaders part ways and the members feel like they have to choose sides. That's just awful. It, it's difficult. And those things happen. It happens in the church. And, and we should take those as we take awful things that happen in our personal lives. Why did God let my sister get cancer? Why did God take my job away? It's painful. It's not the way life is supposed to go. But God in his providence, he brings these things into our lives somehow for our good. To grow us to be more like him. That's why I read on to Romans 8, 28. We know in all things God's working for good. That's hard to hear or to see when we're going through it sometimes, but it's true. And we have to trust God for that. We have to believe that when we see the the cancer-weakened body of a loved one in front of us. Somehow, God is doing this for our good. It's not good itself, in itself, that's not what we're saying. But God is working good out of this somehow. When we see a church ripped apart by a disagreement, when a marriage falls apart, it feels like God is abandoning you in those times. But you're his child, and all things work together for the good of those who love him. It's like standing at the foot of the cross of your beloved rabbi and messiah, watching him die the one you thought was going to save Israel. Facing that miscarriage of justice, it's easy to lose hope and see only the loss, the death. But God brings resurrection and life out of death all the time. The cross and resurrection of Jesus is the foundational event that shows us this is the pattern of life. So when God brings suffering into our lives, into the church, There's a faithful sense in which we want to lean into that. Tell each other what God is teaching you lately. Piper says it pretty well. He says, don't waste your your suffering. If you're going through something hard, squeeze every drop of, of learning and discipleship out of that that you can. Tell somebody else about it because that will help too. The church is meant to be a body that learns and grows together even as it suffers. So, and the church suffers in many ways. Through, uh, how, how does the hymn line go? Through uh, something's torn asunder by heresies distressed. Uh, there are many different ways in which we suffer. Persecution in some countries. Or just division. The church is meant as a fellowship. As an army. As a hospital. There's all kinds of uh, pictures you can use again, like I mentioned. We, we are the church militant as opposed to the church triumphant already in heaven. So we are the church that's fighting a war against sin and the devil in our lives and in the world. You can consider the church as army, the church as headquarters. This is a place to coordinate activity, to hear the game plan again, and then you go out from there and you march. 
and you fight. Or sometimes, depending on what's going on in your life, sometimes church needs to be a hospital or a retreat, and you've suffered many wounds, and the church can be a place to heal. Of course, the sad part about that is that sometimes the church is a place you get wounded. So uh, there's all these pictures of the church. One of my favorites is the football huddle. The church is, is, we just had the Super Bowl last week, right? Remember how the game goes. Between every play, you have this huddle. And church, gathering together for the church is like that huddle, where the last play just happened and, and you got a, the guy who messed it up has to confess. That was my bad. And we confess our sins. And then we get the next play called. Okay, now let's go run the next play. Okay, you can do it. Encourage each other. That, that's, uh, that's one way to consider the church. The church is the body of Christ. We're growing to be like him. The church is structured a certain way to help that growth. The church is a, a key way that God brings his blessings to his people. His blessing comes to us through the cross, the death and resurrection of Christ. And there's, there's suffering at the center of that. And the church is not immune from suffering. But through that suffering... God brings blessing and the greatest good for his people. So let's give God thanks for the ways in which he does bless us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, your church. We trust your promise that the gates of hell will not prevail. That even in this uh, warfare where where the devil is seeking to destroy uh, the work of Christ... Uh, even when he was on earth, tempting him, calling him to a different path, one not of sacrifice but of, uh, of glory. Lord, keep us on the path of sacrifice as your people. Help us to deny ourselves, to lay down our lives for one another, that we might follow your son Jesus more closely. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. God's word. Therefore, my beloved, plea for my idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying, then, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the Gentiles, which the, excuse me, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. God, in his mercy, gives us a place to belong in the body of Christ who died for us. And because we hear church talk so often, it can be hard to get the idea, again, of what is happening here. The main words in this text are communion, partaking, fellowship. The point is that you have a place here. You are sharing in the life of Jesus here. And there's a war going on between Christ and the devil. And here we are declaring what side we are on. 
We stand with Jesus. He is our captain and commander. We get equipped to fight the bad guys here. So don't go out the rest of the week and join the other side. You are members of Christ's body. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.